Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Follows still with the puck, passing to Blake Lazelle off the bench. No look, beat down to the doorstep, they score! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Arvidsson off the bench, scores! Victor Arvidsson! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Well, guys, it's been another one of those weeks where I wanted to record an episode, but then news broke, and then unbroke, and then broke again. Changed all my plans. We're definitely going to be bringing you an Ontario Rain update soon. Quentin Byfield had his first professional hat trick for the Rain. Cal Peterson continues to play well. But today, Wednesday, December 7th, uh, or I suppose you'll be hearing it Thursday, December 8th when it publishes, Today, the LA Kings announced that they have loaned Brant Clark to Team Canada for the 2023 World Junior Championship. Spoke to Jim Fox about the loan, what the benefits of that experience might be for Brant Clark. We also talked about the big 5-2 win over the Senators. But before we get to all that, Sean Dursey sat down to chat with me and Zach Dooley. Joining us now in the yet-to-be-named LA Kings podcast studio, defenseman Sean Dursey. How are you doing today, Sean? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. And featuring Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse, doing well as always. So, Sean, you were drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs, and you're a native. Uh, well, I don't know about native, but you are from the greater Toronto metropolitan area. Uh, you play your first game coming up in Toronto. How would you describe, like, what's the pre- prevalent emotion you uh, feel when you think about that game? Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's pretty exciting uh, to think about you know my first NHL game that I ever watched. Uh, growing up there as a fan, uh, being there you know multiple times to watch hockey games, watch my favorite players play, and then now to play there and you know to have those kids kind of looking at you now as one of those guys. So it's uh, it's exciting. I mean I got a lot of family friends who are excited about coming to the game, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Is Mississauga Toronto or is it Mississauga? Uh, I mean, depends who you ask, but no, I'm asking you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, to me, it's it's the GTA is pretty much you, you know you're getting the same kind of people, so it's uh, it's all pretty much the same, but it's it's got its own traits. How many Leafs games did you go to when you were a kid? Jeez, uh, I remember I was at the first ever shootout game. Which was uh, pretty cool. I mean, I was pretty young, but I didn't really know the the relevance of that. But uh, can't give you a number. It was once every maybe a few years or so. But uh, I remember my dad took me to one. We, we had great seats, uh, you know, right at center ice in the hundred level. Uh, 
awesome seats and he was super excited for it and I was super excited and then I ended up telling him you know what uh, let, let's try to sit a little higher next time and he's looking at me with a puzzled <laughs> face and I was like I want to sit all the way at the top and he's like, sure so the, <laughs> the next time we went it was uh, a little bit cheaper but uh, I got to sit at the top and you know kind of see the game from from that angle as at a pretty young age so so my my dad likes to sit up at the top too he likes to see the plays develop say like on the center line but like in the he likes to sit up there and now like we work for the king so we can get these nice tickets closer to the ice but he still like i think likes to see the plays develop from, from up high so my dad and i sat in row one section 320 for 12 years and it's the same i mean i imagine row one and 320 is probably higher than yeah. where the, <laughs> those leads were there but yeah it's you see the game. So if you were going to a game, you know, if you were buying season tickets for yourself, where would you sit? Oh, I don't know. I think uh, probably around the center ice or, or sorry, behind the net. And uh, Really? Yeah. I like to see it from that angle, but tough to say. As a fan, it's it's different. You know, center ice is good in the 100 levels. I was young and I thought it was really cool to be high at that time. So sure. uh, it was... Uh, fun for me at the time but i didn't realize how the price and, and the different values <laughs> sure. the behind the net is that a sean dersey thing or a defenseman thing uh that's actually a sean o'donnell matt green thing that okay when we kind of did video coming into the ahl and stuff they have the uh behind the net cameras i guess and overhead and, and you can kind of see where you're playing, how how quiet your game is in between the dots, things like that. So it's, uh, I mean, now it's like that, but probably as a fan one day, you know, center ice, see all the action. So, so if you grew up a Leafs fan, did you have? I mean, did you feel the rivalries? Like, do you have an extra little spot tucked away for your thoughts about the Montreal Canadiens, for example? Yeah, it was weird. Uh, I, I grew up a Leafs fan, and then as I went through my first draft. And uh, I didn't get picked. I mean, I, I kind of just started liking hockey, I guess, and not as much as teams. And, and that kind of happened uh, when I thought maybe it was a, I, I should have been on a team, I guess, and uh, lost it that time. And then I guess now just, you know, I guess there's a little bit of excitement. But uh, at that time, I was, you know, so much as a hockey fan as I was any team, so. When you were younger and you were still kind of in that that fan part, like who was a player that you really enjoyed watching when you'd go to the games or watching on TV? Like who was that guy that you really enjoyed? Yeah, maybe, there was maybe other than Drew Doughty. Yeah, there was a. It's got to be number sixty five on the Sharks. Uh, you know, growing up watching him, what he can do, you know, in the offensive zone and and how he can skate and how he can break the puck out was kind of. Some that I love, like he always wanted it on a stick, and and he was he was making a good place to get it out. But that was a guy that, in the beginning, uh, you know, not a lot of coaches were were too thrilled at, and then he had that awesome playoff run, and everyone was like, you know, this guy can you know do it all. So, uh, just how how exciting he was, and, and how confident he was with the puck is uh, something I kept an eye on out. And then obviously Drew, just kind of the passion that he plays with is, I think it's really important to to win and. To kind of be a great player, you got to have you know that energy that your teammates can build off of, and that's something Drew has. So, uh, different aspect of guys' games, uh, but definitely those two kind of things for sure. Did a guy like Carlson, the way that he played, maybe open some doors for a player like you? Like when I was growing up, the defenseman was six four, two fifty, 
physical, right? That was the style. Like, did a guy like that kind of change the game for someone like yourself? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, you look at the way a defenseman plays now, it's uh, guys are getting 80, 90, 100 points. So it's, uh, I mean, it, the game's obviously evolved to the point where you have to be some sort of a puck mover and you still have your steady guys. But, I mean, everybody can can move the puck and, and play in that kind of sense. But uh, for sure, he opened doors. Uh, you know, everyone kind of saw at that point when he was kind of dominating and, you know, the Sens were doing well. Uh, everybody wanted a piece of it. So, yeah, I would say he changed the game a little bit. And, and now you're seeing a lot more defensemen who are – you know, active, mobile, offensive. So, I mean, it was exciting to watch and it was exciting to kind of learn off of. There's a whole host of fans right now screaming about Bobby Orr at their phones. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he, I think he preceded us. Yeah, yeah. By a little bit, yeah. Um, Sean, so <clears throat> that's NHL players and rivalries, but you played in, uh, in uh, Owen Sound and Guelph. But, I mean, I'm looking at a map. Right now, and I see Mississauga, Hamilton, Guelph, Kitchener, London, Oshawa, Barrie, Owen Sound, and they're all like, yeah, you know, they're not right next to each other, but they're closer than uh, Toronto is to LA. What are the rivalries like at that level as a fan and then as a player? Yeah, that's uh, that's an awesome, awesome league to, to play in is uh, the OHL, obviously, but it's uh. I got drafted to Owen Sound, and, and to be honest with you, I didn't quite know where that was on the map, even <laughs> though it's pretty close. So it's, uh, I was surprised, but thrilled, obviously. And then to get there and to realize when you play in a league like this, there's small towns, there's, you know, kind of big cities, and you notice how passionate, even from the small towns to the big cities, everybody is about their hometown junior team. So it's, uh, to have that little buzz around the city, it's almost like they're, you know, little pride and you can see it when a team does well. And when a team is, is going on a playoff run, the city kind of rallies around it. You know, you go for breakfast, people will be offering to, to pay for your breakfast and, you know, saying good game and you'll have cheers on the way out. And it's, it's really cool to, to kind of get that first sense of, you know, fame in a small city like that, just because the population is not that big and, and you at one point, you didn't even know where this place is, and now you're, you know, family with everyone there. So it's uh, different in, in city, different cities, but the passion, you know, is always the same. It's a rough comparison. I apologize in advance, but when I was 16, I think I went on a trip with a bunch of kids from my neighborhood, and now, whatever it is, 30 years later, like those are my best friends, like <laughs> the guys I met on that trip. There were guys I knew before that trip that I thought, oh yeah, these will be my best friends for life. And I went on that trip. We had a couple intense shared experiences and now like no that's not um, giving the best comparison. man speech yeah, that's you know? not a bad comparison so you must be still friends with some of the guys you played on those teams with. oh yeah yes a lot of the guys you know you build that bond like you say it, it was a short period i guess looking back on it in, in my life but the bonds you build with those guys it's you know first time you're in that kind of hockey scene where you're seeing them every day you know you're you're hanging out with them after practice you're going on long bus rides and you know different talks and, and things like that. So it's that kind of bond is, is kind of the first time you experience it. And, you know, now i got some of my best friends who I've met in hockey. The Billet family must be an incredible source of uh, formative memories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was really, really fortunate with, uh, you know, my Billet family in Owen Sound and in Guelph. So it was uh, 
one of those scenarios where I was not supposed to make the team at Owen Sound and I didn't have a bill at home. They were kind of moving me around in the first little bit. And then uh, I was lucky enough for uh, Sarah and Phil Rao, my billets in No One Sound, to kind of say, hey, we got an extra room. We'll, we already have <clears throat> some players, but we'll take you in as a third at the time. Hmm. So I stayed with them the whole time in No One Sound and very, very grateful. So I'm just going to interject a real <laughs> quick question. Do guys that aren't supposed to make the team not get <laughs> billet homes? Is it like a play for your bed kind of situation? Well, I mean, no, it's <laughs> – it's, in junior hockey, there's, you know, the GM has has a task or the assistant GM has a task of finding homes for the projected players on the team and the guys who are, you know, the returning players and the guys who are top, you know, two, three rounds maybe. I was a 12th round pick. And obviously when you're looking at the roster, you you have your houses set already and then you have the wild cards at camp. And I guess, you know, I had a decent enough camp to to kind of turn some heads and, and to kind of sign a contract. So um, maybe caught the GM off surprise. He said, <laughs> you know, there's a family who will let you stay here for a little bit, but they don't really want that many. They don't want two players in their house. And I was moving around, but I actually started with uh, Marcus Phillips, who was here. So it was uh, that was my first built house. And then a month later, maybe I moved into the one that I would stay in. So in that league, like you got traded. And you were obviously out of high school, but like, are there rules that you can't <coughs> trade a kid who's in high school or can you get moved at any time? And for you, what was the experience like of getting traded in juniors? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's all different kinds of rules of, of no movement clauses and, and things like that. But um, a lot of the time you, you kind of, you wave the no movement clause to, and you figure your situation out after that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, to yeah. be honest. Uh, I was lucky enough to be traded with uh, Nick Suzuki and a couple of my other teammates there. So um, made the transition a little easier. And, and having me and Nick, you know, hanging out every day, you know, being best friends there, it was, uh, made it obviously easier and a little more fun. But uh you're leaving a lot of the guys and it's sad so it's uh i was with a lot of those guys for four years at the time and like you know we talked about jesse it's you become great friends with all these guys so it's, it was sad but i was fortunate enough to be moved with you know a lot of a lot of good friends so it was good the way the schedule shook out last year you know you didn't make your debut till late november and the kings already played montreal twice by that point so you haven't played against Nick yet as a professional, right? So how exciting is that to kind of play against one of your best buddies and see that come full circle? Yeah, we talk all the time. Uh, um, even like right now, we, we talk and I, I we still laugh. Like it's going to be hilarious, to be honest with you. It's uh, we've it won't be no secret because one of our favorite things to do is compete against each other, no matter what it was. Pick up basketball outside video games, uh, cards, anything it was, we were going full tilt at each other. So uh, the competition is is no secret for us. And, you know, it's something I know we both won't shy away from. Uh, I'm sure once a puck hits the ice, it's going to be full war at that point. And, and like it usually is and like it should be. But uh, it'll be cool experience to kind of go against him. I, you know, hopefully I still know a couple of his tricks and now I have to react to his new ones. So it'll be uh, it'll be fun. If, if in a situation like this, so presumably you've got friendships like that on the current roster. Is there a line that, that can be crossed where you 
choose one over the other? That's a terrible question. I know. Sorry, but <laughs> like choose a friendship over the other. I mean, in the moment, not you know, like life. You know, nothing. Oh, gonna, on the ice. Yeah. Oh, it's this team over Nick Eddie right now. It's right. on the ice <laughs> for sure. It's uh, you know, off the ice. Nick's my best friend, so I'll uh, you know, I'll obviously you know love him to the day I die. But uh, when it comes to on the ice, uh, I got to choose my teammates for sure, and, and that's no no question. It's just one of those things that always comes up in the back of my mind. I think a lot of sports fans that that don't play the game at the level we're talking about here is you know when an all star game or an international competition comes up and you've got teammates that are now on opposite sides, and you know there's that part of us that just wants them to like you know if you get a chance drive the guy through the glass. <laughs> yeah. But I imagine you probably I mean not that driving guys through the glasses is yeah exactly part of your game, but. Um, so you and Nick still close, and I'm assuming still close with the billets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're awesome. Um, Is that what they're called, billets? Yeah. All right. You got it. You got it. <laughs> All right. No, to, we were like we were super fortunate. They've done it for a long time. They're billets for 20 years when uh, we we joined them. So they've they've seen it all. Uh, they've had Wayne Simmons actually there, um, a bunch of couple more NHL players, but I mean for them. For us to still be in touch with them and for them to be coming to our game in Montreal is going to be special. Uh, you know, seeing us face off head to head and, you know, I'm sure we'll do a dinner or something with them the night before or get together or do something. But it'll be really fun, awesome. And, yeah, we were really, really, really blessed to have them and to still have them in our lives. And I understand you and Nick uh, are hosting them. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, you know, we've had a bunch of family We'd want to come out and we know we wanted to have them at the game and we kind of joked about it even when I probably you know didn't have an NHL career insight at the time in junior about having them both at our game against each other one day or on the same team so uh happens to be against each other and uh we're not gonna let them down we're gonna you know set them up with uh some good seats and you know go from there I wonder if there's a record book anywhere for like career statistics of that came out of billet homes, like the billet families, like <laughs> yeah. compete with each other. Like, is they got to have good numbers. <laughs> I mean, they've had you know now me and Nick uh, Simmons before, and I want to say there's one or two more. So they've uh, they're obviously doing something right in that house. Excellent. Well, Sean Dersey, you're doing something right as far as we're all concerned. We thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Before we get to my conversation with Jim Fox. I would very much like to pull off a hockey holiday miracle. I'm trying to reunite a Kings jersey with its rightful Kings fan owner, and I'm going to need your help. Because I have no idea who the owner is. I don't know his name. I don't know what he looks like. I don't know where he lives. I don't even know if he's still a Kings fan. Here's what I do know. I know where, when, and how he lost it. I'm not going to share those details because if we're able to find the true owner of this jersey, those are details I'm going to need him to supply to prove that it actually is his jersey. We've got a little bit of a Cinderella story going on here. So here's what I can tell you. The jersey in question is the King's third jersey from the 99 to 2002 era. It's the purple King's jersey with the crown on the front and the King's shield on the shoulders. It has Los Angeles and silver lettering written across the bottom. One final crucial piece of information. The jersey and the fan were separated from each other in 2002. 
So we know the person we're looking for is male and probably between the ages of 40 and 50 years old. I'd really like to return this jersey to its rightful owner for the holidays, you guys. So please help me out. If you're listening to this and you know any Kings fans that fit that incredibly vague description, I apologize. Ask them if they briefly owned a jersey or knew anybody that owned a jersey matching that description in 2002. Let's reunite these two for the holidays. All right. Here's my conversation with Jim Fox talking about the win over the Ottawa Senators and, of course, Brant Clark and Team Canada. Joining me now, a man I am so fond of and who has been on this podcast so frequently that I'm considering inviting him to become the official co-host, Jim Fox. How are you doing today, Jim? Well, just uh, you're going to have to talk to my agent about that. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. By the way, you are my agent. So. Oh, perfect. I talk to myself all the time. <laughs> we're, there we go. We're, we're all set. Uh, Jim, the reason we're talking to you today is, uh, one, I want to just have a brief chat with you about that performance the Kings put in uh, last night against the Ottawa Senators. We are recording this on December 7th, but also because uh, at the time of this recording, it has been heavily suggested by different reporters that I've seen out there in the Twitter sphere that Brant Clark will be invited to Team Canada's camp uh, on December 9th. This was something that was assumed to be happening for weeks. And then earlier this week, Team Canada put out uh, their list of camp invitees. Brant Clark's name was not on it. And so for about five minutes, uh, King's Twitter freaked out before cooler heads prevailed and uh, reporters clarified that even though Shane Wright and Brant Clark's names were not on the invite list, it didn't mean that they weren't going. The fact that they had ELCs and were currently playing in the NHL meant that their parent clubs needed to be in contact with Team Canada. All of that is a very long prelude, Jim, to ask you, uh, in your experience, both as player and broadcaster, um, what are the potential benefits of a player like Brant Clark participating in a World Juniors? Well, first of all, it is an intensely pressure-like situation. Mm -hmm. It is so, the way I compare it is I compare it to March Madness and the Final Four. Mm -hmm. That would be my comparison. So if you have the same type of eyeballs on it as the Final Four, especially up here in Canada, you know the pressure that is there. And that is the benefit. It's one of the benefits of playing under so much scrutiny that you just have to get used to that type of a situation. I'm sure a player like Brandt has been through that before because he's been a top player on most every team he's been on. And he'll probably be the same on Team Canada. It's just a matter of going through it once again. But this one, this one is different, Jesse. This one is different. The World Juniors held in Canada is something that I... I can't even imagine the pressure on these young kids, but it's something that you have to learn to go through. I think you can pick up tips on how to recognize your body, how it's reacting, nerves come, what do you do? Are you going to make the same play? All those types of how you're preparing. Is it nervous energy? Do you need to get more sleep? Do you really have to focus on nutrition? All those things that you, you might take for granted, it comes to the forefront because of the pressure. Now, Zach Dooley had a tweet on November 10th that had some details in it that he had shared with me privately. So I'm going to read his tweet. So I, I'm not actually putting words in his mouth. 
Um, he said since opening night, Brant Clark, this was again back on November 10th. Brant Clark has played nine games with the Kings. In that time, his OHL club, the Barry Colts, has only played eight games. He's not missing out on any game time by being up, and he's with the NHL club each day. He then uh, wound up being uh, assigned to the Ontario Reign for a conditioning stint where I believe he played five games. Is it What is the added benefit in preparation for a World Junior Championship or even the rest of his career? I, what I'm getting at is, is where does the value in game time versus practice time come from? Like, should people be concerned with how much playing time someone like Brant Clark gets? I think that it depends on, again, when you think the fruit is going to be ripe. Mm-hmm. That's that's when I think you're, you're, you're it, again, we've talked a billion times about expectations. Well, some people expect them to play for the Kings this year. Some people expect them to be a top 4D for the Kings this year. Some people expect him to quarterback the power play for the Kings this year. Or some people expect him to be sent back to his regular team in junior. Well, some people felt that would be the case. Uh, game, you, you do need games. I will say this. It, it also depends on the level of competition he's going to go to. And yes, he would excel. From what I've seen, this is just my personal observation. I think Brand Clark can learn more from watching NHL games than playing in junior right now. I think he can learn more from being in practice because this is what I see. I think there's a couple of areas, two that stand out to me, where Brand has to improve. Number one, he will have to learn how to protect himself a little bit better mm-hmm. because of the, the vision that he has and the plays that he tries to execute. And that's great. Again, if we better to pull back than not being able to have the skill to even think about executing some of the plays he makes. But he does expose himself, and I think at an NHL level, he'll get drilled. So he'll have to learn that, and I think he can learn that in practice. I think he can learn that watching NHL games. Uh, The other thing is, you know, just how to rein in the attack mentality he has. It should always be his biggest asset, but it is too wide open right now. And I'm not, it, it's more his thought process than the actual execution of plays. I watch him. He is looking every second on the ice. He is looking to attack. I mean, you know, he could be defending a, a, a one on five, five guys coming down on him. And he's thinking about picking off the puck and going the other way. I mean, that's, that's his mentality. And I, I, I absolutely love that about him. But those are the two areas that I think, and, and I don't think, certainly, I don't think either one of those things can be improved in junior. Because in junior, he's not going to have the same type of pressure on him as far as guys bearing down on him, guys looking to, to make the contact, and guys that are capable of making the contact that I, and I'm talking about uh, that would happen in the AHL. And in junior, he will continue to keep with that 100% attack mentality which i think he has to rein in a little bit so that's that's a long long answer and to the reasons why i believe playing with the la kings practicing with the la kings watching the la kings going to the world juniors i think that's the way to do it it was a long answer but it was a good one as usual i however i'm going to pinpoint a one little part of it that i have never thought about before and it might not even be an answer to this question. You mentioned that he needs to get better at protecting himself. 
is there a player that's particularly good at that that you can think of to sort of point to as a as an example because i mean i know what you mean but i'm just curious if there's a, anybody that you can think of who's actually quite good at that uh well it's not quite it's it's more how you expose yourself so uh you've seen it a couple times already this year i think in preseason in the prospect camp and i saw it in the, yeah one of the preseason games where on the end boards behind the king's net someone's bearing down on him and he passes the puck off the boards behind his back to himself mm-hmm. and he slips out the other side uh-uh. <laughs> that that it, it'll work a couple times right and even if it does work a couple times is it worth the risk of the one time the guy drills you Mm. and may may cause some serious damage that's so it's how he exposes himself to those areas which i think he can learn i think he can learn to make the same play without the same lead up and yeah there's there's guys you know i'll go to this even even Sidney crosby when he came into the league now, different position, right? But mm-hmm. Sidney used to drive to the net every single shift. And then he'd be taken down. He'd end up sliding into the boards. He'd be hit. But after a while, he had, he had to taper it back a little bit. I think Connor McDavid is the same way. Remember, he got hurt there in his first season. He got to a point where he's going a million miles an hour near the net. Someone knocks him off stride, falls into the boards. Those are the things that aren't you know necessarily someone drilling him, but just how you're – I'll use the word reckless. Now, Sydney and and um, Connor are <laughs> good enough that they would never be considered to be reckless, but that's you're just getting to a speed which there's a slight loss of control. Brant, I don't think, executes with the same speed, but he puts himself out there because of what he's trying to execute, where he's trying to get the puck, who he's trying to slip by. I've seen him make some outlet passes in, uh, in training camp. And in the preseason games where just leaving the king zone, someone's bearing down on him, gives him an old look off or, you know, gives a little fake and the guy kind of slides by him and he beats, you know, yeah, it worked, but they're going to figure it out. And so that now that's, you can tell how concerned I am there because I, I've spent a lot of time on it, but that's, that's what I think you can do. So. Yeah, even players like Chris Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid had to learn how to rein their game in to protect themselves. And that's usually because they have the puck all the time. So it sounds like what you're saying, and I apologize for trying to dumb it down a little bit, but it sounds like what you're saying is rather than get better at protecting yourself, don't put yourself in positions where you would need protection in the first place. I'm not sure. Go go one more time on that one. You're saying it's the skill is not necessarily in learning to protect yourself. It's in learning when not to place yourself in danger. So it's more pre, more prevention than than cure. That is exactly it. That exact. Don't be putting yourself in that position. I'm going to use this moment to pivot to the other part of the conversation I wanted to have with you, which is about that game against the Ottawa Senators. Because I think we might be beginning to see a player who is getting better at that, uh, avoiding the bad situation, um, is potentially Sean Dursey. Yeah, he's, again, it's it's a tough read. I don't think Sean can be fully evaluated till he gets a stretch of games on his right side. Mm-hmm. I do see him getting back for pucks more and more now and getting his head up 
there was a great, we had a great replay last night, I felt, where he went back for a puck. He looked over both shoulders before he got there. When he got there, his feet were in great position. He spun around and was able to make a forehand pass, even though he was in his backhand corner. And, but that takes, that does take an extra half second. It mm -hmm. does. So if you can execute at a speed that's better than most, then that half second won't hurt you. Uh, but he is, he is again, he's a guy, <laughs> I would say not as much as Brad Clark, but he's a guy who was always thinking attack. And nothing wrong with that. He will just have to learn within the confines of the system, within the, you know, what breakout is happening at what time. The whole thing is reading the pressure, right? And that pressure is, is coming down on you pretty hard. Sometimes it's coming from one direction. Sometimes it's coming from both directions. And uh, I think Sean is getting to, to understand that more and more. Uh, talking with Tom McClellan today, the way he put it was, Sean, will, he'll try plays that other defensemen won't even think about trying. And in one way, that's great. In one way, that's a concern. I think as that balances out, it becomes less of a concern and more of a positive. So that effort against Ottawa was obviously great first period um, as far as the score. But I found myself, and I saw it echoed by a lot of other fans online, one of the problems of an inconsistent season is that when the team goes out and gives a tremendous effort and gets a tremendous result, I think I think there's that voice in the back of all of our heads that say, okay, that was great, but is the you know you can only solve the issue of inconsistency over time with consistency. So a single solid outing isn't enough to quell your concerns about future inconsistency. But was that as good a first step as you can take? It was a uh, Alex actually asked me during the game last night to I think compare it to the Edmonton game where everyone felt that was identity right on the mm -hmm. road holding a high scoring team to I think it was one goal against. Uh, that's, I felt the Ottawa game had to do more with the Kings did with the puck than how they defended. And having said that, they didn't have to defend as much because Ottawa did not get a chance to get the puck. Mm -hmm. um, I think the Kings were much smarter on placing the puck in behind the Senators. I think the Kings were much smarter on making spatial passes as opposed to stick-to-stick -stick passes. I think the Kings were more comfortable in actually giving up the puck for two seconds and then going get back. And all this was putting it in behind the Senators defensemen or Senators forwards, and they weren't being stood up. And I think, I mean, the second period, to me, the four checks the Kings had going, you really can't execute any better. I mean, they had that one shift where I think the Senators line was out there for over two minutes, and they just could not get out of the zone. Every time they got the puck, they were so tired, they could... And that's, that's something you want to recreate, something you want to do. But I think it was a, the big part of that is this. They knew or had a pretty good understanding of what the other team was capable of and their system and how they were going to approach things. And the Kings took what the other team gave them. They didn't force it. And maybe as this group, the higher skilled group, is learning to play more effectively, they will balance that out with every once in a while you need a control shift you just need something to reestablish puck possession you might not even get a shot on that but that doesn't matter 
how much, if any, benefit do you think there was from the fact that the Kings played Ottawa last week? Like, is that just a coincidence? Oh, yeah. Of the schedule? No, no. I, I think, I think a lot of it had to because I think what I was just talking to you about had a lot to do with reading the system and taking what the other team gave you. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that was fresh in the mind of how it didn't work in the previous game in Los Angeles. So if the if there was benefit to be gained from playing Ottawa last week, how do you roll over that strong play against a stretch of opponents that you didn't play last week? I think, first of all, you adjust based on what the other team does. Uh, I think that you still have the same mindset, which is puck possession. And... I think we understand the next game against Toronto, the type of opposition, the style of player is going to be different than the Ottawa Senators. It's going to be a true test, a true challenge. But to me, it's it really all this year, Jesse, if I can put it into one thing, it's the pool, pool hall, billiards. Mm -hmm. It's not what you make. It's what you leave. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you you've got you've got to have the foot on the gas pedal. You've got, when they have the puck, you've got to be pressuring the opposition. But you can't. It can't be all or nothing. And there's to a certain extent this year, I think the Kings have been all or nothing. I also do believe again because of the new mindset of some of the players, they're always in attack mode. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes you just have to be in possession mode. I think, again, Ottawa was a good example of that. We'll see what happens. I would assume the Kings will be defending more against Toronto than they did against Ottawa. So now you're getting back to that edmonton Oiler game where you know defending might come to the forefront more than puck possession. Uh, but that's that's something that you're always looking for, and that's something you're balancing out. I think last year again on the road trips the Kings had that we that they were very successful. How they counterattacked was something new to the Kings for for a long period of time. And then the whole biggest difference right now is very simple. You're getting one or two goals every game on the power play. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that is man, and that's you know that's not going to continue at the same rate it has for the last ten games where the Kings are the best power play in the league. But as we talked about last year, if the Kings can end up ranked top 15, if they can end up ranked top 10, that is a huge improvement. And believe me, that goes a long way into the wins and losses. A long way. And to the point that you have brought up previously, it's not one unit. It's both units now. It, it is. I brought it up last night in the game, at least in the open or early on um, to our broadcast. It was now it is two units and it was yeah. only one unit before. It really right. was. Mm-hmm. I know that the Kopitar unit was getting in the early on. They had some goals, but the dominant unit has been the Deneau unit. And uh, I think in the in the terms, those are hockey terms. I think we have to start using football terms because. We use power play quarterback, so I would say you have the Dowdy unit and you have the Dursey unit. Okay. And the Dursey unit has been the more dominant one, but now the other one is coming along. It was, you know what? It was great for me to see last night that the goal by Fiala was a simple. Kevin talked to Carlin after two periods, and I, I don't know. 
he almost mimicked exactly what I said. <laughs> it was like, great entry, get to the front of the net, simplify and shoot. Now, the other unit's goal was much more intricate, much more puck-oriented, much more one-touch passing, change the point of attack. But when you can have two units working in different ways, oh, man, then the penalty killers are in trouble. And I thought a a brilliant pass from Victor Arvidsson straight to the back of the net. Just uh... yes, as you, as he is the best passer. <laughs> That's right. Yes. That's right. Last question before I let you yeah. enjoy the rest of your day off, Jim. We talked before you guys left on the trip about Alex Ifalo and uh the the stability that he brings to the lineup. So what did you like from his first game back? I I just like that I, I see the reaction of the players around him. I think that the players that he plays with are so confident that they know what Alex is going to do that they they mesh together well. They all there always seems to be, you know, three guys or five guys going in the same direction, the same flow. Where at other times it can be disjointed. I think Alex brings the ability to play connected. I do think like any player that's missed that amount of time and with the injury he had, he is still not at 100%. I'm not even talking timing. I think physically he's still not there 100%. That's just going to take the grind of hockey, the grind of games to get through that. But you you get a sense of control, and that is exactly what the Kings need. Well, hopefully they'll continue to get it on this road trip. Jim, thanks as always for joining me, and uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Okay. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it.